Well, praise God for uh, his grace in our church. Always exciting to see and, and talk about uh, this ministry. We're grateful that God's name is, is being glorified uh, through, uh, through many ways in the church, including this, the ministry of, of Open Hearts, Open Homes. And it's, it's neat to see uh, how his name is being glorified in these new families and the way the church is caring for them and uh, others and how the gospel is being proclaimed. Well, let me encourage you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and as you turn there, I just want to thank you again. Uh, thank you for the, the prayers for my family as we've been uh, thinking about the, the passing of my father and celebrating his homecoming and, and homegoing, and uh, also just, just mourning uh, the loss of him in our lives. Thank you for the, the cards and the emails, the, the phone calls. Uh, just being very gracious as uh, having been able to do all the responsibilities that I, I normally have in the church, and so thank you just uh, for all those things. Very, very feel very blessed uh, for this this church family. I uh, feel very blessed for my relationship with my dad, and for the the hope that we have in uh, in Christ. Well, Sanctity of Life Sunday is is a Sunday where we as a church look at God's Word. And we, we try to think biblically about the issue of life and about the church's response to living in a, a world that does not view life the way that God says that we're to view life. And what we think biblically about how the church should respond. And so we usually look at a text and, and think about how God would have us think about life and about children and about our response. And one of the, one of the major ways that we believe that we should respond to a a culture that doesn't value life is to to value it and express and, and live that out in caring for those who are uh, most in danger, the, the little ones. And so we're going to look at Romans 12 uh, verses 9 through 13 this morning. But we're going to read. Uh, you know, we're going to. That's the passage we're going to read too. We're going to read verses 9 through 13. It kind of goes on, but we're going to just kind of focus on these verses, and uh, and we'll, we'll read these and we'll think about how these verses apply to our responsibility as a church to care for the least of these. So if you would, please stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Paul says this in verse 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, by your grace, help us to apply these truths, help us to think rightly about uh, all things in life, most importantly, help us to think rightly about you, help us to know you, to know your heart for us, and then as we know these things, these truths about you, help us to love you, and then as we love you, we pray that you would transform us and cause us to, to love one another and to love the children as well. Give us grace to be obedient to you today. We pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus loves children. 
It's one of the first truths we, we teach to our, our children. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves children. In fact, there's a famous German theologian and said whenever he traveled to the United States and went on a, a lecture tour, whenever he went to the University of Chicago, one of the, the students there asked him, he said, hey, uh, doctor, can you, can you take all these, these great theological writings that you've produced and kind of give us a, a summary statement of, of what your theology is all about? Can you, can you summarize everything in kind of a simple sentence? And the theologian thought about it for a moment. He said, yeah, I think what I can say is, is what uh, my, my mother taught me when I was a, a very little boy. Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a truth we teach to our, our children at, at very, very young ages. One of the, the first great theological truths we teach them. Jesus loves children. It's a simple sentence. Jesus is the subject of the sentence. Children are the, the object of the, the sentence, but Love seems like kind of a, an easy thing to understand, and, and yet, I would suggest this morning that we, we don't fully understand the implications of that simple sentence. When we went through 1 John several years ago, we talked about the wrong conceptions that our culture sometimes has of what love is. So, for example, we often define love or think of love in very emotional terms. I, I feel loved, and, and if, if you love me, I'm going to, to feel a certain way, as, and you're going to treat me in a certain way that causes me to respond in an emotional way, or, or we think of love in a very romantic way, how, how I feel about another person. We think about love, in fact, one sociologist has suggested we think about love in a very consumeristic way sometimes. I view myself as kind of a commodity, as, as this, this asset, and I'm going to see how, how valuable am I, and, and I'm going to try to maximize my value, and, and my value is determined on the basis of, of, of how, how wonderful the people are who love me. How can I, how can I get the most in a, a relationship? In fact, uh, John Piper put it this way, talking about another wrong understanding of love that we have in our culture. Piper says, we call that love when people make much of us. But as we look at scripture, we see something different about love. Remember, as we went through 1 John, we, we said this, biblical love is committing to give of ourselves for the eternal benefit of another person. Biblical love is not seeing how much can I receive from another person. Biblical love isn't saying, okay, how do I emotionally feel in this relationship? Biblical love is making the decision, okay, I'm, I'm deciding, I'm committing myself to sacrificially give of myself for the benefit, the eternal benefit of another person. That's what biblical love is. And so you say, well, now, what does all this have to do with, with a conversation on Sanctity of Life Sunday? Well, well, this, whenever we say Jesus loves children, we need to understand what do we mean when we say love. We're not saying that, that Jesus just makes children uh, feel happy. We're saying that, that Jesus commits himself to sacrificially giving of himself for the eternal benefit of children. And as we understand what it means that Jesus loves children, then, then what's the implication? You and I 
have a more profound understanding of what it means for us to say that we are going to emulate Jesus in loving children. So as I say, I, I love children, I, I have a desire as, as a believer to love the children that Jesus loves, what does that mean? It means that I'm committing myself to giving of myself for the eternal benefit of children in, in a sacrificial way. In fact, here's kind of the, the central idea that I want us to kind of to think through this morning as we look at this passage in Romans 12. I want us to see that, that those of us who desire to be obedient to God's call to genuine love are going to be those who will care for children in powerful, world-transforming, gospel-proclaiming ways. Those of us who are going to be obedient to God's call to, to genuine love are going to be those who sacrificially care for the children and are going to do so in powerful, world-transforming, gospel-proclaiming ways. And so we're going to look at this passage. We're going to see kind of an exhortation to genuine love. And then we're going to talk through, okay, the, the practice of genuine love. What does this look like? So Let's look at the text. First of all, we're going to see this, the exhortation to genuine love. And look at how verse 9 begins. Paul says, let love be genuine. Now, before we look at verse 9, let's remember where we are in the Bible. We're in this book, Romans, and Romans begins with a problem. The problem as Romans begins is that you and I are, find ourselves in need of righteousness, the first part of Romans begins by, by saying that all of us need God's righteousness. And the first part of Romans goes on to tell us none of us in and of ourselves have the ability to achieve God's righteousness. There's, there's a profound problem that we, that we have. God's, God's wrath is being poured out upon those who are not righteous. That includes all of us. All of us need God's righteousness to be in a relationship with, with him. And none of us can earn it. None of us can obtain God's righteousness. And then starting kind of in the last part of chapter 3 all the way through chapter 8, the book of Romans tells us, okay, here's, here's the gospel. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's how you can come into relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You turn from your sins and you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And you, you, you come into relationship with God not because you first loved him, but because he first loved you and provided his son, Jesus, to bear the penalty for your unrighteousness. And now you can be in a relationship with God again. How? Through turning from sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone, not through any works. Sound familiar? That's, that's Galatians. We're, we'll get back to that eventually. I'm, I'm very confident the Lord allows. We'll get back to Galatians. Then Romans goes on in chapters 9 and 11, kind of talk about some, some hard things, about okay, here's how the gospel comes to people and they respond to it. And then we come to chapter 12. Now, now, why do I say all that? Because in chapter 12, Paul is going to give a, a series of instructions. In fact, in, as you look at it in, in, in the original text, in the original language, it's, it's just very, very short statements. Do this, do this, do this, do this. But Paul's instruction here is, is not what he begins with. He begins this letter by saying, okay, this is, this is who you are. You're, you're separated from God. You don't have the ability to be righteous on your own. You need a, a heart to be transformed by believing in Jesus Christ. And then, then after your heart is transformed, you respond to the beauty of the gospel as God reveals it to you. Then comes chapter 12. In other words, chapter 12 and the things that I'm saying this morning are not for everybody. 
This isn't just a, hey, you know, you want to you find favor with God, do these things. This isn't a, hey, every person in the world, here's some nice humanitarian things that you can do in relationships with one another. No, the, the message that we're giving this morning, these instructions, and primarily this instruction to, to practice genuine love, is for those of you whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel and in, are in relationship with God. So he says, let love begins here, let love be genuine. And I think this first instruction kind of serves as a heading for all the things that are going to come afterwards. First John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, or that is the the satisfaction, complete satisfaction for our sins. Brother, beloved, if God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. God's instruction for those whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel is that they're to love. And not a, a counterfeit love, not some hypocritical love, not some, I'm going to say somewhere, I love you, I love you, I love you, and not, not, not do anything about it. God's instruction for his saints is let your love be genuine. I want the substitute love dominating my church. God says I want genuine sacrificial love. It's hard for us to practice genuine love if, if we don't know what it is and what it looks like. In our culture, the words, I love you, are words that can be thrown around very easily in a counterfeit way. A boyfriend might say to his girlfriend, I, I love you, but when he says I love you, he's not saying, hey, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm committing myself to sacrificing for your eternal benefit. He's saying, I love you, and I desire to have a physical relationship with you. A family member may say, I love you. But they don't mean, I love you, and I'm committing myself to whatever, doing whatever I need to do for your benefit. They're saying, hey, I love you because I want you to respond to me in a certain way as your brother, as your sister, as your father. A wife may say to her husband, you don't love me. And, and she may be right, but for the wrong reasons. What may, maybe what she means is, whenever I'm in a relationship with you, I don't feel the romantic feelings that I desire to feel. Therefore, my conclusion is, you don't love me. You and I need to understand what true biblical love is for us to practice it. I was listening to an interview that uh, someone did with Frank Borman, an, an astronaut, and, and the reporter was asking him about his, his time. And, and Borman at this time was, was 90 years old, and he'd had the opportunity to, to continue in the space program, but, but Frank had said, you know what, I'm, I'm done, and I'm going to spend time with my family, my wife, my kids instead. And the reporter was, was talking about that with him. He said, you look, he had the opportunity to, to be one of the men who landed on the moon, and you gave that up. And, and Frank says, yeah, I, I know. And the reporter said, you're, you're not a very romantic person, are you? And Borman said, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I cried during Casablanca. And uh, the reporter said, well, what part of Casablanca? And, and Borman said, well, you know, the part where uh, they decided to, to put 
other people's needs above their own. And the reporter said, that's not romance. And in one sense, he's right. You know, romance is is about the exaltation sometimes, at least in in the world, romance is about the exaltation of self. But biblical love is about deciding to to give of ourselves for the benefit of others, to, to not exalt ourselves, but to exalt others. Now, what does that look like? Let's talk about the practice of genuine love. Paul goes out, goes on, and he begins to, to lay out, look, here are some, some practical ways that we see love expressed. This is what the practice of genuine love looks like. And I want us to, to talk through these and, and think about them in the context this morning of caring for children. Number one, I hate evil and I cling to good. Genuine love, if I'm genuinely, love, genuinely, genuinely loving another person, I, I hate that which is evil and cling to good. Let love be genuine, Paul says. We've talked about that. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So I, I first of all, abhor what is evil. That, that word abhor means to, to intensely hate. I, I despise those things that are evil, and evil means those things that are contrary to the pursuit of, of God's glory. I, I hate those things. And then he says, I, I cling, and that word cling is, is this word of, of intimate connection, just like in a, a marriage relationship almost, the, the bond that exists in that clinging relationship. There's, there's this desire to hold fast, to cling to those things that are, are good, that are in accordance with the pursuit of God and his glory. So as I'm in a relationship with someone that I love, what, what am I concerned about? I'm concerned that the people that I love are, are not following the things that are evil that are going to cause them to be further away from God and his glory, and I'm desirous of them clinging to those things that are good, that are going to allow them to be in in relationship with God and pursuing the purpose for which they were created. These two things go together in true, genuine love. My love for others is not based on asking the question, how can I make you feel good about yourself? My, My love is based on the question, how can I help you pursue the glory of God? My, uh, I've, I've mentioned before that one of my daughters is really, I don't know if the word is good, um, she's very competent at impersonations, and uh, two weeks ago I saw her giving a performance, uh, impersonating me, and uh, she began the, the performance with this, she, it was, um, she, you know, help me understand. Help me understand. Apparently, that, and I, said, I, I stopped. I stopped the show. So, like, is that supposed to be me? And all the kids are like, "Yeah, Dad, that's, that's totally you." And um, they said, you, "Every time we get in trouble, you begin, help me understand. Help me understand." I said, "I help me understand why you guys think I do that, right?" Um, and I said, "Well, is that a good thing or a bad thing?" I said, "Well, you know, the ba- the bad thing is that oftentimes there's no really good answer to that. Like um, the." The, the the understanding thing is I was mad at my brother and so I hit him. You know, I, the, how deeper do we need to go here, Dad? Uh, so, but the good thing is we, we know that as you're making rules, as we're having conversations, we we, we do think that you genuinely want to know uh, why we're doing what we're doing, and and your desire is that we would do those things that are best for us. And and I, and I hope that's that's true. Now, as we think about children in need, I'm not asking myself, okay, how can I make everybody happy? How can I make people like me? First of all, I'm saying, okay, I, I abhor those things. So I look at my my culture. I abhor those things that God abhors, and and that that result in children in need. I, I abhor a, a, ch- a culture that's committed to to pleasure. I. 
abhor a, a culture, the aspects of a culture, that are committed to greed, to selfishness, that refuse to care for children, the foreigner, a culture that's okay with killing the unborn, that refuses to provide physical care for those who are in need. I say I, I, don't, I don't desire myself, my own heart, to turn an eye towards those things, those needs that God calls me to, to, to meet. And then simultaneously, I, I love, I, I cling to things. I cling and love to those things that God loves, which are by definition to good. I, I cling to generosity. I cling to selflessness. I cling to sacrifice. That's how I respond to children. As I think about my relationship and my obligation to those who are in need, I, I cling to what is good and I pour what is evil. Now, here's the second thing. Number two, what else does genuine love look like? It means I put the needs of others before my own needs. Paul writes, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. That word is translated love there, and, and that word brotherly both kind of have this, this same idea of, of family relationships. As I, I think about other people and I say, if I say I'm going to love them, what it means is that I'm, I'm committing to this, this familial obligation toward them, especially within the context of the church. When I was at my, my father's uh, graveside just a few weeks ago, a pastor from his church came up and was talking to me, and, and he and I basically said something at, almost at the exact same time. He said, hey, please let me know of needs that you know that your mom has. And I, I, could say, I as I was saying, hey, please, as you guys care for my mom, let let me know the needs that exist so that I can help meet them. Now, I obviously have that, that joyful obligation as a son to help care for my mother, and yet the church that she's a part of recognizes they have an obligation if they love her to care for her as well. There's this mutual obligation to, to love in a loving, to, to care for each other in a loving relationship. We, 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 when I say I love someone, I'm saying I'm, I'm, committing my, I'm committing myself to care for you the same way that I would for someone in my family. And then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, now what exactly does that mean? The idea is that as we keep a scorecard for life, we have a, a different scorecard than our culture does. There are all different ways that we kind of measure how successful we are in, in life. You know, someone comes up to you and you're talking and you, you hear, or maybe you're reading a news report and you're, you read about how much someone makes in a year. And, and what do you do? You kind of, okay, this is how much they make, this is how much I make. And there's kind of this, there's kind of like this, the scorecard. Or you're, <laughs> this, <laughs> this happened to me, uh, I have a friend of mine recently, um, you know, you're, you're on the treadmill and, and someone comes uh, next to you and they, they kind of set their speed and you kind of look, oh, there's people are going to bump up a little bit. You know, there's this kind of, there's this, this scorecard. You're looking, oh, how cute, you know, and you're running, you know. Or there's, there's all, all sorts of scorecards. Someone tells you this about their life and you compare it to your life and you say, okay, how am I, how am I doing compared to them? Here's what Paul says. Here's, here's a scorecard for you. How well are you sacrificially meeting the needs of others as you show honor, as you prefer others above yourself? Am I saying, look, I, I'm a person who is so committed to, to the needs of other people that I'm, I'm giving of myself because I, I, want to, I want to outdo, not in a, not in a uh, harsh way, but in a, in a loving way. I want to outdo others in showing love and concern for them. I want to show honor to those 
who I'm in a relationship with. It's normal to bestow honor on the wealthy and the powerful. You know, the CEO of your company says he's coming over to your house and so oh, you know, clean house and I need to, to make sure that the 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 meal is, is an, a meal that honors the CEO, the, the powerful, the rich. But the sign of the believer is this. The sign of a believer is that it's not just the CEO that we honor. It's not just our, our boss. It's not just some prominent politician. It's not just someone who's the world would view as a person deserving of honor, but it's a powerful tool, a powerful evangelistic tool that, that shows the world that our hearts have been transformed when the church says this, your worth is based upon who you are in the image of God, and I'm esteeming children, I'm esteeming the weak, I'm esteeming those who are in need above myself because of our common need for the grace of God. It's a powerful tool of evangelism as the church makes this commitment. Our churches care for children and for their parents and honoring them by welcoming them into our homes is one of the most effective ways we proclaim Christ. And we'll talk more about that. Number three, third characteristic, I, I serve the Lord with Holy Spirit empowered zeal. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, do not, do not be slothful in zeal, but be, be, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So th there's a call here to those of us who be lazy in our love, where we're called to be zealous. And zealous in, in what? Well, zealous in, in, in this spirit-fueled service of the Lord. God doesn't call us to, to feel good humanitarianism, to say, okay, you know what? You want to go join the Peace Corps, do a water project, or start an orphanage or do those sorts of things, that, that's not the ultimate, uh, that, that's not the first thing that God calls the believer to. What, what's what's the, the vision that God has? There's a vision for zealousness, but it's under the, it's under the umbrella that, of, that chapter 12 begins, uh, begins with. It's under the umbrella of worship. And so my zealousness is in worship of the Lord. And as, that, as I engage in service of the Lord through worship of him, I'm, I'm fervent in that. And it's, it's not fueled by my own flesh. It's not fueled by my commitment to do nice things. It's fueled by the work of the Holy Spirit. Be fervent in spirit as you serve the Lord. Now, what does is, what is that mean as we think about our, our need to care for the fatherless, for the weak, for children and their families who are in need. There's a real danger that you and I might face in doing fleshly empowered care for the fatherless. There's an exhortation here to be zealous by the enabling work of the Spirit. There's a danger as we seek to fuel our own zeal for those who are in need. We need the Spirit to empower our zeal. If you're lazy in your love for the Lord, this is an admonition for you. If you're zealous in your own flesh, this is an admonition for you. And it goes with the next principle too. Number four, I persevere in trials with joy through prayer. Paul writes, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be 
constant in prayer. Verse 12, I think, is a a very timely verse for our church as we enter into the phase of orphan care, caring for children and their families for need that that our church has, has entered into. Sometimes there are exhortations that a church needs to to begin a ministry of caring for the fatherless. And there are sometimes in a church where you you look and you see that there is a a lack of care for those who are in need. And it's it's a sign of of real spiritual deadness. And and there's some exhortation that needs to take place there. That's not where our church is, by God's grace. But there's a point in a a church's life whenever they've engaged in in very difficult compassion ministries where there's there's an exhortation to to continue because ministry has gotten difficult. And that's certainly an aspect of where we've arrived at by God's grace in the life of our church. As I think about our compassion ministries, I think about our care for orphans, I think about our care for foster children, I think about our care for women who are part of, of uh, different, different other ministries that are reaching out to women who are in need. As I think about um, our care for those who are going through difficult times, I, I think about the necessity of thinking through the principles that are in verse 12. Verse 12 envisions the difficulty of of, of ministry for those who desire to walk in love. You see, the love, if you practice biblical love, let me put it this way first. If you practice practice love as the world understands it, it's going to be kind of a rewarding rewarding relationship. Your, your, Your love relationships are going to be mutually rewarding or you're going to walk away from them. So you say, okay, I'm going to engage in this romantic love, and that's how I'm going to. That's going to be the ultimate definition that I have for love. And as long as, as long as there's a, a rough equilibrium in how we're relating to one each other, I get something from you, you get something from me. I'm, I'm going to persevere in that. But a person, the, the the person who says, okay, I'm committing myself to biblical sacrificial love, is committing themselves to a relationship in which they may never receive something back. The person who commits himself to, to biblical love is a person who's not only saying, okay, I'm committing myself to ministry, uh, a type of love, a sacrifice in which I may never get something back, but I'm committing myself to a relationship that may cost me and continue to cost me, and I may actually, not only am I not going to get something back that's positive, I'm going to get something back that's, that's negative. And the more I commit myself to love, the worse I'm going to receive. That's what a person, that's a calculation that a person who commits to biblical sacrificial love makes. That's the awareness they need to have as they make that commitment to love people who are hurting, who may not love them back. And so what do we do as a church? Because what do we do? We're calling people to love people who who are in tough circumstances. And as we call a person here to love someone else who's in a tough circumstance, and we see them, we see the, the, the pain that happens as they make that commitment, we realize, okay, it's partly my fault that they're experiencing this pain because I encourage them to do this. How do we respond? Verse 12 tells us. Verse 12 tells us, 
Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. In other words, as I see this person who is in pain because they've committed themselves to biblical sacrificial love, I rejoice with them as I believe in the hope that they've entrusted themselves in. In other words, I believe that there's a future reward for them. I believe that they're an outgrowth, what what they're doing is an outgrowth of their relationship with God, and I believe that the pain that they are going through is worth it. In terms of their eternal reward. And so, how do I help them? One of the ways that I help them is rejoicing with them as I celebrate the reward that I know this love commitment is going to have for them. How else do I help them? I'm patient with them in tribulation. I, I tell them, look, you've traded ease now, and, and we tell ourselves, I've traded ease now for reward later, and I need to exhort myself and others to continue in tribulation. There's no expiration on this call to love. I need to, to continue to, to, go, to, 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 to go forward by God's enabling work through his spirit. And as, as we do that, As we do that, we recognize that we can't take the tribulation from other people and place it on ourselves. We can encourage one another and be constant. The last thing here, be constant in verse verse 12. The last thing in verse 12 is we're to be constant in prayer. In other words, we're, we're constant in prayer as we think about the difficulty that those including ourselves, have encountered as they've committed themselves to this type of loving relationship. We fervently pray for those who are in our church who have committed to very difficult ministries of loving those who are in hard circumstances. We fervently pray for them to hold fast. Look, if, if Jesus needed prayer, and if Paul in Second Corinthians, as, as he talked about the tribulations and sufferings that he was going through and, and the, the, the needs that he had for prayer, how much more do you and I need prayer for ourselves and how much more do we need to be faithful to praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ? If you are failing to be constant in prayer for those in our church who are adoptive, foster, safe families, for those who are ministering to those in in very difficult circumstances, if if you're failing to be constant in prayer, you, you need to repent of that. And to ask God, by his grace, to help you to be faithful to, to pray for these. If I love children, I'm going to persevere in trials with joy through prayer. Number five, last thing to think about here. We're going to unpack this a little bit. I seek, if I love others, I seek to use my resources to care for others. If I have genuine love, what am I going to do? I'm going to seek to use my resources to care for others. Contribute to the needs of the saints, Paul says, and seek to show hospitality. And as you go through verses 14 through 21, we see this goes even beyond just just the church. Our physical resources are on the line here if we say that we love. I'm I'm going to be contributing. I'm going to be sharing. It's it's this ongoing injunction to use my resources for others and and, and not just to sit passively, but to seek to show hospitality. There's there's an active desire to meet needs. Remember remember when we went through 1 John together? 
We gave this, this definition of hospitality, related it to love. So love is when I sacrificially give of myself for the benefit of, of others. Hospitality is related to that. Biblical hospitality is when I demonstrate my love for others by joyfully using my home and other resources to meet their needs. Okay. So biblical hospitality is when I, I demonstrate my love for others. It's, it's this practical outworking of my love that I say that I have for others. Biblical hospitality is when I'm demonstrating my love for others by joyfully using my home and other resources to meet their physical needs. And so we, we talked about how biblical hospitality is a command that's given to all believers. We talked about how it's an expression of our love. It's, it's um, one church father put it this way. He said, see, he talked about how the Christians are viewed by others. He says, see how they love one another by what? By how they're ready to die for each other. There's this, there's this common care and concern that believers have. Hebrews 13 says, not let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. So, so love and hospitality are intricately connected. First Peter 4 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another and without grumbling. There's this connection again between love and hospitality. It's an inevitable product hospitality is of love. It provides an environment in which relationships become what they are meant to become by God. Now, Big picture thought, and then we'll get back to kids. Big picture thought. As we think about hospitality and, and love, I believe that hospitality is where evangelism in the 21st century is perhaps going to be most effective. Hospitality is going to be one of the most effective ways we share the gospel in, in our current cultural climate. Uh, climate. David Mathis wrote this, he said, hospitality, in a progressively post-Christian society, the importance of hospitality as an evangelistic asset is growing rapidly. Increasing the mo- increasingly, the most strategic turf on which to engage the unbelieving with the good news of, the, of Jesus may be the turf of our own homes. When people don't gather in droves for stadium crusades or tarry long enough on the sidewalk to hear your gospel presentation, what are you going to do? When they come to the crusades, when they don't take the track, what are you going to do to share the gospel with people? He says, where are you going to interact with the unbelieving about the things that matter most? Invite them to dinner. Rosaria Butterfield just came out with this, this amazing new book. I say, I haven't read it yet. She's done some amazing interviews about, that I've listened to about this amazing new book that, I, that I've purchased. I haven't read it yet. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The gospel comes with a house key, practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. And in one of the interviews, she said this. She said, counterfeit hospitality seeks to impress and entertain. Counterfeit hospitality separates host and guest in ways that allow no blending of the two roles. Christian hospitality comes with strangers becoming neighbors, becoming family of God. Christian hospitality, I'm say it again comes with strangers becoming neighbors, becoming family of God. Now, how does that relate to children? We say that we love children. And Paul, as he talks about what true, genuine love looks like, 
he comes to this, this inescapable conclusion. If you love someone, you will show them hospitality. If you love someone, you will sacrifice of yourself for their eternal good and and benefit. If you love someone, you will open your home and other resources to them in a sacrificial way. In other words, don't say, I love children, if you're not willing to practice and encourage and support hospitality to children. A couple questions for you as you think about hospitality. Number one, do I, do I love God? Do I, do I love God? Do I, do I really have a genuine love for God and a, and a passion for his glory and a desire to see his name exalted far more than I, I love myself, far more than I love my finances, far more than I love keeping my carpets clean, far more than I love not having my walls crayoned on. I don't know if that's a verb, but you know what I mean. Do I love God? And then a second question, do I love children? Specifically, do I love children in need? So if I love God, if the answer to number one is, is, is yes, then the answer to number two must be yes as well. And then a third question, am I, am I seeking out awareness of needs? The, the, the passage here says, uh, it doesn't say um, show hospitality when it comes up. It says, seek to show hospitality. In other words, there's a a proactive work that a believer engages in to find needs and open their home and other resources to meet those needs. I I seek to to show hospitality. So am I, do I love God? Do I love children? Am I seeking out an awareness of needs? And then another question, how? As I find out about those needs, have I thought through this question, how can I take my resources and meet those needs of which I've become aware? So I I love God, and so if I love God, I must love those who are in need, particularly as we're talking about this morning, children, and then I need to proactively make myself aware of those needs and then ask this question, how can I take the things that God has given me? And all of us are in different circumstances this morning. I understand that. But how can I take the resources that God has given me and meet the needs of those precious to God. Related to this is this question, am I willing before God this morning, because of the, not because of this, not, this isn't a work, but because it flows, it's a work that flows out of my relationship with God, because I've been transformed by the gospel, I've been loved first, am I willing to lay down my life to proactively meet the needs of which I'm aware. I'm excited by what God has has done in the life of our church. Uh, Jill told me this week that our church has had over uh, 30 safe family hostings this last year. 40 if you include uh, the the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. So, So 40 40. Uh, hostings over this last year. This last year, I think uh, six or seven kids were brought into to, to permanent homes through adoption. More of you have been involved in, in foster care. Countless more of you have been involved in, in supporting those, those families through meals, through financial gifts, through babysitting. That, that must continue, right? 
You and I must open our home. You must, through adoption, through fostering, through safe families, or supporting those who are opening their homes, that must take place. There needs to be a financial support of these families. There needs to be emotional prayer-fueled support of these families. There needs to be a support of, of peripheral ministries as well, as we're, we're thinking through how can I be obedient to this. The uh, Empowered um, Life Center, Women's Pregnancy Center, my sister's house, more ministries than I can, can get to in just the, the moments that we have left. Those who desire to, obedient, to be obedient to God's call to love are going to be those who will care for children in powerful, world-transforming, gospel-proclaiming ways. And, and my confidence is that by His grace... God is allowing our church to see the lives of children transformed, sometimes to see the lives of their families transformed by our our faithfulness to exalt him in all things. I want to exhort you to continue in that. I want to exhort you to to ask God to continue to to, to work in your heart to see how you can be involved in that. I want to exhort you to, to financially support the families who are doing these things. I want to exhort you to be praying regularly, faithfully for these families. I'm going to close with prayer, and then then we're going to show a video, and and we don't do a lot of videos, but I I want you to see an illustration of how this ministry in our our church has has helped others. This is just one example. It's a Safe Families testimony, and Safe Families, of course, the ministry you can find out more about, and many other ministries you can find out more about after the service on our, our table, or you can check out our church website, or you can uh, ask through via email or through the, the care cards this morning. Let me, let me pray, and I want you to see just an example of how God has been working through this ministry, and hope that it encourages you to continue to be faithful in hospitality and in loving children. Father, we pray that you would, by your grace, help us to be a church that shows genuine love. Father, may our, our love not be hypocritical. Let us not be those who just mouth the words, I love you, and yet... Our, our hearts are far from you. Help our love to be genuine without hypocrisy. And Father, today as we think about the gospel, as we think about how you have transformed us through our faith in your son Jesus, help us to think rightly about how we can live in obedience to you. Give us, give us a vision for how we can care for children. We pray for our culture. We pray for hearts to be transformed. And we pray that uh, hearts would be transformed not through our... Um, not through, an, not through our argumentative spirit, not through our self-righteousness, but hearts would be transformed as they see our, our love for you and the joy of being obedient to you, and the joy of being in relationship to your son Jesus, and the, the joy of caring for the fatherless. We pray, and those, uh, those who are in need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.